0: Good morning, FAM Church. Welcome once again on this Memorial Day weekend. Um, And uh, FAM Church is here to connect people with Christ. That's what we are about. That's our mission. That's where we're heading. We're glad that you are here this morning, and we want to say a special welcome to any first-time guests that we may have with us this morning. I'm sorry, I've, I've been reading this book, and it talks about... Public speaking in your hands, and so I'm not sure what to do with my hands right now because I've been reading this book and I've got all this stuff swirling through my brain about what the book told me. But uh, if you're here for the first time, we want to especially welcome you this morning. Uh, If you're in church for the first time or the first time in a long time, we're excited that you're here. If you're walking into the doors of this church and it's the first time you've walked into the doors of the church and you're saying, what on earth am I doing here? I know my sins. I know my temptations, the struggles and the battles that I face, and I don't belong here. Can I say yes you do we face the same struggles and trials and temptations as you do? We are glad that you took a risk to be here with us today. And let me tell you, we are not going to judge you for the things that you're going through, but we're here to walk with you. And we feel like your life will be better because you are with us today. And this morning, we are starting a new series. We're starting a series on tragedy, pain, and why bad things happen to people. And uh, um, it's a question that many people ask. It's a question that people ask god it 's a question that i 've been asked multiple times just in my years of ministry by, by children by youth and by adults and I even recently the, the reason that we 're doing this message is because I had a couple of adults come to me and say you know i 'm struggling with this or somebody I know is struggling with this and so what do we do about this and so that 's what we are going to be looking at uh, in the coming weeks um, and uh, i first want to start off by defining what pain and tragedy is because sometimes we get a little bit confused here in America as to what actually constitutes pain and tragedy. Okay, so if you are someplace and there is no internet access there, that is not pain and tragedy in your life. I have been on many a youth trips where the youth pull out their phones and say I don't have reception and there's no Wi-Fi. Somebody is going to die on this trip. No, nobody's going to die. There was a time before internet. Everyone survived. It's going to be okay. All right? That's what we call a first world problem. Who knows what first world problems are? Anybody? A couple of people. All right? It's problems we have here in the first world. All right. So, uh, or pain and tragedy. It's not that your friend is driving a brand new 2017 latest and greatest sports car and you drive a 1993 Chevy Caprice, okay? That is not pain, suffering, and tragedy. It's not pain, suffering, and tragedy if your best friend has a 90 inch 4K ultra high definition TV and you've got a 20 inch in your living room i got to tell you, I am jealous whenever I walk into somebody's house and realize they can watch sports on a TV that's the size of a wall in my house. I mean, but that's not pain, tragedy, and hurt, even though our brain tells us that those things are when we are in those situations. And here's what we're going to do this morning. We are going to start off this series, and we are going to be exploring the story. We are going to be exploring the events around something that happened in the Old Testament. It's the story of David and Goliath. And that's what we're going to be looking uh, at through this series. And so if you are familiar with where that story is at, it's in the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 17. You are welcome to turn there. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, you have no idea where Samuel is at, that's fine. We're going to have it on the screen behind me. Uh, but Samuel is, uh, 1 Samuel is the ninth book in the Old Testament, if you would like to turn there. And, and, and this chapter starts off with a rivalry. And all of us know something about rivalries, don't we? You know, we've got things in our life that are rivalries. Like, you've got the people in this room who will only drink Coke. And then you've got the people in this room who will only drink Pepsi or maybe Mountain Dew. Okay, so, so how many Coke drinkers do we have in this room this morning? Are there some Coke drinkers here? All right. How many Pepsi drinkers do we have in this room? You know, this is the first time it's been equal. Usually Coke dusts Pepsi. And I don't, uh, but, but yeah, we, we all have a side in that rival. We, relate, we love our Coke and we don't like Pepsi, or we love our Pepsi and we don't like Coke. There's other rivalries that we, we, we are, uh, can be engaged with. We may be a part of Florida and Florida State. Do we have that rivalry in the house this morning? Boo. We, somebody just hates that rivalry altogether. Is that what that means? But we all have sides that we take in that rivalry. We also have the smartphone rivalry between the iPhone and the Android. If you want a phone that will blow up airplanes and gives viruses to 36 million users, get an, uh, an Android, okay? That, that's all I'm going to say about that. But we all have a stance on these rivalries, correct? We all have a position that we take. Well, this morning what we're going to look at is all about the rivalry. It's all about the battle. It's about two nations trying to control one territory, and only one of them can come out a winner. And... and um, And uh, what's even more interesting about this rivalry when we look at it is that ultimately, really, each one of us is in this story, whether we know it or believe it or not. And so we're going to, like I said, we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 17. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 3, and this is what it says there. Um, It says, Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered at Soca, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Soka and Azekah in Ephes-Demim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with a valley in between them. So here is the picture of this situation. You've got a hill over here in which the Philistine army is on. Then over here, you have another hill in which the armies of the nation of Israel are standing on that. And I'm, th- I'm sure you're thinking to yourself, what does this have to do with the subject matter that I introduced? What does this have to do with the series? Because just because a battle took place 1,000 years ago, how am I even in this picture? How am I even a part of this? Well, here is what we need to know. Israel- the Israelites are, God pe- are God's people, okay? The hill is the camp of God. And if you are on that hill, you belong to God. And if we move this into modern day terms, if you are part of the church of Jesus Christ, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are on God's hill. And how you get on God's hill is by what we call being saved. Being saved is where you've given your life to Jesus and you've, you've allowed him to come in and clean out the sin in your life, okay? And so if that is you, you belong to God, you are standing over here on God's hill. On this other hill, we have the Philistines. And the Philistines were the enemies of Israel. But see, in that time when you had a country that you were at war with, not only were you at war with that country, but you were at war with their god or gods. And so not only were the Philistines against the Israelites, but they were at war with the God of the Israelites. And their plan, their desire, was to come down off of that mountain, defeat the Israelites, remove their God from its place and position, and put their gods in the place that God stood. And here's the deal. This is the thing that most people don't want to hear. In your life, with each of us, We are either on this hill or we are on this hill. We are on the hill of God or we are on the hill of the enemies of God. Now, having said that, there are a couple of things that some of you may have been thinking in regards to what I just said. And the first one is this, what hill am I standing on? Because for some of you, when you think about what I just said you 're maybe not sure you 're looking at the two hills and you go you know i don 't know what hill I belong on, and you 'll think about your life and you 'll say, "Well, you know I was baptized when I was a baby, or maybe when I was a teenager, I got involved in a church group and I, and I got baptized then and and so so am I on god 's hill or or you think, "Well, you know I listen to the joy fm when i 'm in my car all the time, and so maybe that means that i 'm on god 's hill or you know I, I do all of these these religious things I pray before I eat." I even pray in restaurants. I mean, come on, for the love, doesn't that make me a follower of God if I'm praying in a restaurant? I will tell you that doing all of those things is good. Being here is good. We're glad you're here this morning. But being here does not mean that you are on God's hill. You could be in church every Sunday and every Wednesday night of your entire life and not be on God's hill. Because the deal is that you can go to these things, you can participate in religious activities and never have it transform your life. See, saying being in church and being in religious activities makes me a follower of God is like saying because I spend my Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights at McDonald's, I must therefore be a hamburger, okay? I mean, think about that. Does just being somewhere make you something? No, if you wanted to become a hamburger, what would have to happen to you? Okay, somebody would have to kill you. Okay, that's a good thought in itself. Then they'd have to grind your body up. Okay, yeah, awesome, huh? Then make you into a patty, throw you on the grill, cook you up, put you on a bun, and serve you to someone. Sound good? I don't know. I was watching a documentary sometime recently where they, they, uh, the people had to eat people to survive, but that's something different. All right. So something, an outside force has to act on us in order to make us a hamburger. Well, that's the deal with following Jesus. In order to become a follower of God's, in order to be on God's hill, something has to happen to us, an outside force. God has to act in and on our lives to change us and transform us or we never end up on God's hill. The second thing is some of you are thinking is this. Okay, well, all right. I hear what you're saying. I might not be on God's hill, but I am definitely not standing on the hill of God's enemies. You know, where I'm at is I'm just kind of, you know, I got this, I got a couple of lawn chairs and, you know, I got them stretched out in the valley here. I'm just kind of kicked back. I got me a sweet tea and I, I got me my earbuds and some, uh, my iHeartRadio or my iTunes radio, maybe Spotify or something like that. I'm just chilling in the valley. I'm not taking sides in this battle. Well, can I tell you that the valley? No one is there. No one can be in the valley. The valley is a no man's land in this battle where no one journeyed. Why would no one go there? Because they would end up dead. Both sides would think that the person in the valley was doing something, was a traitor, was was somebody who was there who didn't belong there, was doing something they weren't supposed to be doing, and so both sides would try and kill that person because they would assume they were up to no good. They would kill them first, ask questions later. The valley is a dead man's zone where no one lives when they go into it. And in life, in the spiritual realm, the same thing is true as well. There's no middle ground when it comes to the battle between God and the enemies of God. There is no place that we can stand and say, we're not going to take sides in this. We're just going to stay neutral. There is no Switzerland in this world of God and his kingdom against the forces of darkness and the, and the dark forces that are out there coming against us. I mean, it says this. Jesus said these words in Matthew chapter 12, verse 30. He said, whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. He's saying there is no possibility of you not taking sides in this conflict. Just because you said, I'm not on God's hill, but I'm not on God's enemy's hill either, doesn't mean that you're standing in the valley taking a neutral position. If you say, I'm not on God's hill, what you are in fact saying is, I am standing on the hill of the enemies of God. That's your only other option, your only other choice, the only other place that you can be. And some of you are thinking to yourselves, okay, regardless of whether that's true or not, what does all of this have to do with pain, suffering, hurt, and tragedy in my life? Because it doesn't seem relevant. Well, the reason is this. Sometimes the results of the things that happen to us in life are a direct result of the hill that we are standing on. What do I mean by that? See, if you are living your life apart from God, if you're living your life separated from God on a hill that's not his hill, stuff, will happen to you because you're living a life to please you, you're living a life for your sinful pleasures, you're living a life to chase after the things that you want and the deal is, whether you want to hear this or not, is that many times we reap the consequences of the decisions that we make. Like if we are a smoker and we develop lung cancer and then we turn and we say, God, why did you do this to me? God didn't do that to you. You smoked cigarettes for 40 years and destroyed your lungs. Okay, there's nothing in that that says God is giving you pain and suffering. You gave yourself that pain and suffering by smoking all of those years. I mean, I have those situations. I've got a lot of issues with my stomach. I get heartburn a lot of times, things really upset my stomach. I mean, I can only run when my stomach has been empty for like seven hours because it gets so jacked up when I try and run at any other time. I've gotta take medicine and stuff like that. And, and the reason that my stomach is messed up is not because God hates me and is trying to ruin my life. The reason my stomach is messed up is because for many years, I drank a lot of alcohol and I also took chewing tobacco and instead of spitting the spit out, I would swallow it down into my stomach and it literally ate up my stomach and has caused me stomach issues. It's no one's fault but my own. I did it. Now, no one wants to say that. No one wants to hear that. Because we like it, it's better when we can blame someone else for the things that happen to us in life, right? It's just much better when we can say, it's their fault, it's their fault, it's their fault, it's their fault, rather than looking at ourselves. But there are times when pain and suffering and tragedy that we have in our life is a direct result of the things that we are doing in our life. And so if we are not standing on God's hill, the odds are that we are doing things in our life and we're reaping the consequences of the things that we are participating in and it's coming to us and it's looking at us like like we have pain, like we have tragedy, like we have hurt. But it's not that, it's just that we're reaping what we've been sowing into our life. And that's the first fact that we have to deal with. The second thing is this, that if you are not standing on God's hill, you are at war with God, and in war, there's going to be casualties. Back when I was in college for the first time, um, the U.S. had this the first Gulf War in the early 90s. Uh, Saddam Hussein invaded Kuwait, and, uh, and so the U.S. decided to come to the aid of its ally in the area, Kuwait, and liberate Kuwait. Well, um, there was a lot of people that had joined the Army Reserves in the 80s and early 90s and the reason they joined the army reserves was not because they were wanting to defend their country but was because they wanted to take advantage of the GI bill and and get that cash money to pay for their education and so what happened was is the United States now says that they are going to liberate Kuwait from the clutches of Iraq and so uh, the president uh, George Bush uh, senior starts calling up all of the uh, reservists um, to active duty Well, on my college campus, it was a big college, I mean, it had about 60,000 students at the time, and there was a lot of reservists that were going to school there. Suddenly, the reservists were protesting. They were angry. They were like, we can't go off to war. This isn't what we signed up for. Bro, you joined the army. What did you think that was for? But the only reason, they they thought for sure that they were not gonna get called up, they were not gonna have to go into duty, they were not gonna be in a place where bullets fly. And so suddenly, you had people saying, my conscience does not allow me to go and fight in war. I remember several students at the University of Minnesota where I was at at the time, they, had, they told their commanding officer, this was back before uh, you could be openly homosexual in the military, they told them that they were gay so that they would get discharged from the military. You had, uh, you had other people saying, you know what they need to do? The president just needs to say, those of us that are in college can just stay there and do our thing. We don't have to go off and fight. You can't do that. Because that discriminates, you know? You're, You're saying, okay, only those who aren't college students, aren't smart enough for college, have to go off and fight and die. But that's what they were calling for. They felt that they should be left alone, and the thought never crossed their minds when they joined the reserves that they could end up getting called up for battle. And for many people... Because they think that they are in this valley, in this conflict between God and and, the, and and those arrayed against God. They think that they can go into the valley and just hang out there in the conflict. The war is not going to come to them. Well, it's not true. Because there's nobody there in the valley except for dead people. You are on one of the two hills and you think you're not taking sides. And, and uh, if you are on the hill of the enemies of God, you are, you are seeing Attacks, you are seeing stuff coming in. You're seeing bombs. You're seeing missiles. You're seeing guns fired spiritually from God's hill towards your, your hill. And because of that, whether you think you are or not, you're going to get hit. This thing means that things are going to happen to you because of the hill you are standing on. But the attacks may not come from, just from the other hill. See, the thing about the hill of the enemies of God is this. The commander of that hill doesn't care if you get hit or not. The commander of that hill, if it's beneficial for him, will take you out in a second. He doesn't care about anyone standing on that hill. He doesn't care about anything else going on other than himself. There's as much fighting and destruction on this hill caused by friendly fire as there is from stuff coming over from the other side. And it brings unnecessary pain and hurt and suffering into people's lives. And the only way to get out of this mess, the only way to get free from all of the pain and suffering that comes from being on the hills of the enemy of God is to cross from that hill over here, from the hill of the enemies of God, and cross over to the hill of God's people. But the deal is, you cannot just walk down the hill and walk over, and it'll all be done. You'll get shot, you'll die if you try and do that. The only way to cross over is to do what we talked about earlier and to give your life to Jesus. What's that? What does that mean? It's a pretty pretty crazy story, but it all starts a long time ago when sin came into the world. Adam and Eve, they were created by God and they were put in this world, in this perfect place, given one command not to eat the fruit. But instead of Adam and Eve listening to that one command, they decided that this fruit was so worth it that they went and they grabbed this fruit and they ate it and they brought sin into the world. And then not only did that sin come and enter into the world and enter into them, but because it became a part of who they were, that, that sin got passed down to their descendants, and their descendants after them, and their descendants after them. And the only way to get rid of it is to have God take us from the hill of the enemies of God over to his hill. Greg, if you could come back up. But God, because he loves us, he wants us to be on that hill decided he was going to do something to fix it. He set up this system in the Old Testament called the sacrifice. What happened was every year, each person or family had to bring a lamb to Jerusalem to be sacrificed for the sin that they had committed this year. But this was not the permanent solution. Why? Because an animal can never take the place of a person. The person who did the crime had to do the time. And I want you to think of it like this. So this is kind of a a graphic illustration. Not really graphic, like it's not going to... But okay, so let's say... Somebody breaks into, your house, or breaks into your mom's house and kills your mom, all right? You guys all wanted to hear that on Sunday morning, right? Somebody, your mom just died today. How does everybody feel? <laughs> I know, you feel awful, right? Well, here's the thing. Okay, so let's say they find the guy who killed your mom. They take them. They, they try them. They are found guilty of murder, And so you are there on the day of sentencing, and this is what happens. The judge steps up onto the bench, and he says, okay, I'm ready to pronounce my sentence, and I have decided that this man is guilty of killing, a first-degree murder. And so because of this, I am going to sentence his dog to life imprisonment. How many of you would walk away going, okay, that's acceptable, I'll accept that, let's roll with that. His dog's in jail for life, it's all good. The guy goes free, the dog, he's in jail, thank you. No, none of us would be okay with that, right? We would want the guy who did the crime to do the time, right? And that's why this system of the animal sacrifice didn't work because a sheep or a goat could not pay the price for the sin that we had committed. So God came up with a better plan. He sent his son, Jesus. Now what we need to know about sin is that the penalty for sin is death. We couldn't die for our own sins because that would mess up what God was trying to do here in the first place. He was trying to get back into a relationship with his creation, with the people that he created. And so Jesus came and he paid the penalty for my sin and for your sin so that we could be free from it and move from the hill of the enemies of God and move to the hill of God, God's hill. Jesus was able to die in our place because he lived a perfect life, had no sin in him that he had to die for. So he was able to die. He was able to pay the price. He was able to pay the penalty for the sin in us. And now all we have to do is ask him for that and we will be moved from the hill of the enemy of God to God's hill. Just like that. There's nothing else we need to do. No other hoops we need to jump through. No other things that we need to say. All we have to do is go to God and say, God, look, you paid the price for my sins that I could move from the hill of the enemy of God to to your hill and God, I want that now. I want Jesus to come in and move me from this hill to that hill. And when you say that, when you do that, God will move you from one hill to the other. And then the better thing about it is that the tragedy that you were experiencing because you stood on this hill of the enemy of God, the pain and the hurt that was in your life, that was a part of your life because of where you were standing is suddenly now gone Now suddenly you're on God's hill, you're under God's protection, you're under God's hand, you're under God's provision. And so those things, as long as we are living our life and trying to to, to go where God wants us to go and not trying to get back to this hill, we're going to see the tragedy that we've experienced because of the wrong hill that we're standing on disappear and go away. some of you, that's where you may be at right now. Stuff is hitting you. You don't understand why. You want a new life. You want to live differently but you just can't seem to do it. Move hills by asking Jesus to take you from the hill of the enemy of God. And when you do that, your life will change. Now what you need to know is that Satan and the enemies of God are going to come at you with full force and attack you. If you do that, but you will be on the side of the God who created the universe, but the stars and the planets into motion and can break every chain and can fight every battle with and for you.